Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be discussing the Iranian hostage crisis. Here's what you need to know. In 1941, the Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, succeeded his father, Reza Khan, at the age of 21. By 1951, the Prime Minister of Iran was determined to nationalize the country's oil resources, a move that was strongly opposed by the United States and Britain. The Shah became embroiled in a power struggle with his prime minister, and in August of 1953, a military coup staged by the CIA overthrew the prime minister and replaced him with the Shah loyalist. In return for assuring the U.S. a steady supply of oil, the Shah received economic and military aid. 
By the 1960s, Iranian nationalists condemned the Shah's U.S.-backed regime. While the country was experiencing many social and economic reforms, many were angry at the Shah's westernizing of Iran. One of the biggest opposition leaders was a religious nationalist, the Ayatollah Ruhullah Khomeini. In 1964, Khomeini publicly denounced the Shah as well as the United States, and in response, the Shah swiftly ordered his arrest. Hundreds of demonstrators took to the streets in protest, demanding for the release of Khomeini. They were met by soldiers with shoot-to-kill orders, and it is believed that over 300 protesters from the Tehran province of Pishva were killed or wounded. Khomeini was later released and forced into exile. Wanting to claim Iran's stake as a superpower, the Shah spent billions of oil dollars on military weaponry. But his unwillingness to grant democratic freedoms and his development toward an autocratic rule of government led to civil unrest. You're noted as a very strong um, authority figure in Iran, and yet you're extremely popular with the people. Somebody said to me that if there were a referendum held tomorrow, 90% of the people would vote yes for the Shah and all his policies. Why then do you need to be so authoritarian if you have this kind of popular support and warmth towards you? Well, first of all, it's more than 90%. Secondly, what do you call authority? To enforce the law? To make uh, such fantastic, uh, drastic changes without bloodshed? If you call this authority, I don't think that my people mind that. They want it. Most political parties had been banned, and Iran had become a one-party state under the Rastakis party. Nationwide protests and strikes swept the country. The Cinema Rex attack, a terrorist attack which killed over 400 people who were locked inside a movie theater and set ablaze, was blamed by anti-Shah protesters on the Iranian secret police. Not long after, a large group of protesters were killed in a Tehran square after they refused to recognize martial law, and soldiers opened fire. This attack is known as Black Friday, and was a turning point for the Iranian revolution against the monarch. The Shah's loss of popular support, compounded with a secret cancer diagnosis, drove the family out of Iran in January of 1979. With no plans to return, the Shah's departure marked the collapse of Iran's 2,500-year-old monarchy. After more than 14 years in exile, Khomeini returned to Iran to lead the revolution. He arrived triumphantly in Tehran on February 1, 1979, and announced the formation of a new government establishing himself as the leader of the Islamic Republic. The main thrust of his foreign policy was dismantling the Shah's pro-Western ways and adopting his personal anti-superpower attitude towards the United States, along with Britain and the Soviet Union. While in exile and with his health quickly declining, the Shah was allowed into the U.S. for cancer treatment in October of 1979. All of these events helped set the stage for the disaster we'll be discussing today. On the morning of November 4, 1979, a crowd of protesters massed outside the gates of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. While protests weren't unusual, the chanting became louder and louder, and the individuals in the embassy suspected there might be a problem. It wasn't long before students cut the locks on the gates and scaled the walls. 
the mob surrounded the compound, displaying posters of the Ayatollah Khomeini. Upon forcing their way into the embassy, they rounded up the staff and took 66 Americans captive. The American embassy in Tehran is in the hands of Muslim students tonight. Spurred on by an anti-American speech by the Ayatollah Khomeini, they stormed the embassy, fought the Marine Guards for three hours, overpowered them, and took dozens of American hostages. The students want the deposed Shah returned to Iran for trial. At first, President Jimmy Carter and his administration were hopeful that this would not be a lengthy situation, since just a few months earlier, in February, a similar crisis had been averted. But as the days went on, panic set in. The entire world was waiting to see how the events would unfold as President Carter committed himself to the safe return of the hostages. Almost two weeks after the attack on the embassy, 13 hostages were released. These were mostly women, African Americans, and citizens of countries other than the U.S. Khomeini argued that these hostages were already subject to, quote, the oppression of American society. Later, a 14th hostage developed health problems and was released, bringing the total of those held to 52. President Carter cut diplomatic ties with Iran and imposed sanctions. All Iranian diplomats were ordered to leave the U.S., and on April 25, 1980, eight U.S. servicemen were killed when their helicopter collided with a transport plane during a failed rescue attempt. The next day, President Carter gave a press conference where he took full responsibility and the crisis continued. It was my decision to attempt the rescue operation. It was my decision to cancel it when problems developed in the placement of our rescue team for a future rescue operation. The responsibility is fully my own. In the aftermath of the attempt, we continue to hold the government of Iran responsible for the safety and for the early release of the American hostages who have been held so long. On July 27, 1980, over eight months into the crisis, the former Shah died of cancer while in exile in Egypt. His death did little to soften relations between the U.S. and Iran. President Carter's handling of the crisis became increasingly unpopular, and in November 1980, he lost his re-election bid to Republican candidate Ronald Reagan. Soon after his presidential loss, with Algeria aiding in the negotiations, the U.S. and Iran began working towards an agreement. On January 20, 1981, just hours before Ronald Reagan's inauguration, the hostages were released under the Algiers Accord. As part of the agreement, the United States promised not to intervene in Iranian politics. For Jimmy Carter, day 444 begins just as the last two days have begun. Without sleep, exhausted, surrounded by aides in the Oval Office, President Carter is desperately trying to salvage this symbolic victory for his administration to free the 52 American hostages before Ronald Reagan takes the oath of office at noon. But the treaty wasn't officially signed until just minutes after Reagan was sworn into office, making the hostage crisis resolution technically part of the Reagan administration. Mr. President, are the hostages out? Can't say yes. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. They've cheated him. They've cheated him right down to the end. Back in Iran, the hostages silently boarded a plane, 
It wasn't until the pilot announced that they had left Iranian airspace that they celebrated with champagne and cheered. They had spent 444 days in captivity. The ceremony ends about 12.25. Some seven minutes later, the planes bearing the hostages and Algerian officials take off from Iran. A final insult to Jimmy Carter, making it technically impossible for him to take credit for their release for his administration. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. The hostages were separated into small groups and were forbidden to communicate. While none were seriously injured, they were subject to terrifying and demeaning treatment from their captors. They were blindfolded and paraded in front of TV cameras. They were also handcuffed, sometimes for long periods of time, and in some cases forced into solitary confinement. Some were subject to mock executions where they were awakened in the middle of the night told to strip and taken down to a basement, only then to hear laughs from their captors. This type of distress and the psychological pressure of not knowing when they'd be released took a toll on them. There were at least two suicide attempts amongst the hostages. As for the story made famous by the movie Argo, in 1997, it was revealed that the CIA, along with the Canadian government, conducted the covert operation to return six U.S. Embassy employees who had avoided capture by hiding in the homes of Canadian Embassy officers. CIA technical specialists created a dummy movie production company in Hollywood and delivered disguises and documents that made possible the escape from Iran on January 28, 1980. today we have producer amanda lund hi rebecca fact checker chris smith hello and our very special guest is amy carrero actress instagram political guru (laughs) hi amy hello that's my professor voice hello i'll try not to bore everybody to death no 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 I, i gotta tell our followers that they have to follow you at Amy Carrero on Instagram. That's A-I-M-E-E-C-A-R-R-E-R-O, especially before this upcoming election, because you have a lot to say and a lot of good tips. A lot of good tips. Thank you very much. I I try to have a lot of good tips. I embarked on um, an Instagram class to explain impeachment, and I was almost done, and I gave up. <laughs> but there's some, re- there's four really good classes um, up, and you won't be tested. So if you are a little bit confused about what happened and don't want to know how it ends, then head over to my Instagram account. So, Amy, we'd like to start off by uh, kind of asking our guests if there's anything that, you know, causes you great anxiety, causes you to spiral out of control, and also, you know, causes you to be alarmed. Oh, what I think a better question is what doesn't cause me to be alarmed, but I had a feeling. Yeah, but it's, you know, as you know, the the OG alarmist, it's like the little things, you know, the little little hells that really just make it awful. But if we had to choose one thing, I think what's at the forefront of my mind right now is just the fact that like 
there was a poll that came out recently that was like 75% of Republicans think the country is better off now than it was four years ago. And they believe that 170,000 people dead from COVID is a perfectly acceptable number. So that is very alarming. You've got like your your finger on the pulse on the fun and uplifting <laughs> news. That's right. We have a lot to cover with this Iranian hostage crisis. Great. What I came out with after learning about and researching this uh, hostage crisis is that we don't know a lot about it. It's not taught. At Mm -hmm. least I I knew very little about it other than like Argo. And in researching (laughs) about it, I realized Argo's not it. Literally, that was exactly (laughs) my that was exactly my experience. I was like, oh, God bless Rebecca for picking something that I could just watch, rewatch this movie. Um, And then documentary was like, there were 66 of them. Wait, they didn't make it out because of anything we did. Oh, shit. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, talk about like, why weren't we taught this in school? It's because it makes us look fucking terrible. There's a lot of shame uh, around it, especially for poor Jimmy, President Carter. I know. You know? I, and, you know, I'm sorry. I know we got to move on, but I just want to say the most one of the most depressing experiences of my life was I was working in Atlanta and I had like a, you know, a couple days off. So I was like, I'm going to visit the, the Carter Presidential Library. It was, <laughs> first of all, there was nobody there. He only had the one term, obviously. So it was like not that much to talk about. And... It was just so sad because at the end they did this little video where he was like, I really was hoping I'd win. And then when I watched this documentary, I was like, there's no way you would. There's no way you were going to win, honey. Like, especially after what happened. Yeah, he seemed like one of those presidents who actually had his heart into it. Yes. But yeah, I think he was just too good for the office. Like he was too soft hearted for the office. So let's start off by talking about oil. Mm-hmm. and U.S. intervention. Mm-hmm. So according to History.com, the source of tension between Iran and the U.S. stemmed from an increasingly intense conflict over oil. British and American corporations had controlled the bulk of Iran's petroleum reserves, reserves almost since their discovery, a profitable engagement that they had no desire to change. However, in 1951, Iran's newly elected prime minister, a European-educated nationalist named Mohammed Mossadegh, announced a plan to nationalize the country's oil industry. In response to his, to these policies, the American CIA and the British Intelligence Service devised a secret plan to overthrow uh, Mossadegh and uh, replace him with a leader who would be more receptive to Western interests. It's an American pastime. Okay, so this coup, right? Mm-hmm. This coup. I keep calling it a coup, but it's a coup, I know. Um, he... <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so they take him out and yes. the new government is installed. And in 53, the new leader is the member of the royal family. And this is the Shah. So the Shah's government is secular, uh, anti-communist, pro-Western. And in exchange for tens of millions of dollars in foreign aid, he's returned 80% of Iran's oil reserves to the Americans and the British. So for the CIA and oil interests in in the 1953 coup, uh, this was a success. However, many Iranians bitterly resented what they saw as American intervention in their affairs. The Shah turned out to be a brutal, arbitrary dictator whose secret police, uh, known as the Savak, 
S-A-V-A-K, tortured and murdered thousands of people. Meanwhile, Iranian government spent billions of dollars on American-made weapons while the Iranians' economy suffered. What a time to be alive it must have been in 1953. (laughs) I mean... Also in the whole world. I think this was just right at right when we were starting, you know, the whole so scared of anything that sounded like communism, the Red Scare. And, you know, the CIA was doing all the dirty work. And, you know, we put in this pro-Western guy. And I think that we're still dealing with the consequences of that um uh, attention, you know, because think about it. You're let, let's say like you're just like a regular Iranian person living, enjoying your life in 1952. And then all of a sudden this, you know, world power, quote unquote, world, new world power comes in, changes shit, makes you buy their products and has your oil. I mean, it just sounds like somebody broke into your house while you were sleeping and and you just want them to leave, you know, mm-hmm. get out. Amy, has that happened to you? I'm a little yes. concerned. You sounded and really they took like my a specific oil. scenario. Yeah, yeah. No, the EVOO? Yeah, they oh, took no. my EVOO. Can you believe? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and this was such a successful coup that they used it as like an example for what the what they did in Guatemala mm-hmm. and then later for the Bay of Pigs, which was not not as successful, obviously. Yeah. Um but like they felt really proud of this. And it's it's not until, you know, twenty years later that they really start feeling the effects of of how like short sighted it was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're still feeling the effects, I think. I I think the reason we haven't been able to figure out our relationship with Iran, you know, why why Russia can buy bounties on military service members' heads through Iran is, I think, leads back back to this. So we've got oil up on the board. Yes. (laughs) Oil's on the board. And and we also uh, should put, like, I I guess... U.S. intervention, or do we call it U.S. like colonialism? Yeah, let yeah, um, yeah. I would intervention s- is the more modern term. It, it is modern. It colonialism. just doesn't feel like violent enough. Mm-hmm. You know, like intervention. Like, do we call it uh, American B and E breaking and entering? <laughs> Oh, I love it. American B&E. Ooh, that sounds like the newest Ryan Murphy show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What about the Shah? Well, we have to put the Shah up on the board because he's the one who became deeply unpopular, Mm -hmm. right? He was a brutal dictator. And as we know, in 79... The Shah flees amid the the civil unrest, yes. and eventually him going to the United States to try and get cancer treatment was is the thing. Actually, sparks this. Yes. Ooh, can we add like something like Jimmy Carter's soft heart onto the board? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of blame to go around here. I mean, I don't think this is right, but do you think just for like balance, we should put the students up there or the Ayatollah? Oh, my God. We are putting all of these people. Okay. Up. Let me tell you about it. Let's start with the Ayatollah. I mean, we don't have to spend much time with the Shah. We already know. We already about know. Him. We, 
we know what he did and how it sparked this um, this crisis. Yes. Now the Ayatollah is an interesting person uh, when it, it involved in this situation, according to CFR. Uh, amid the Iranian Revolution, Grand Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, Khomeini mm-hmm. a cleric who uh, opposed the Shah's westernization of Iran, returns to the country after 14 years in exile. Khomeini takes power as a supreme leader and uh, turns Iran from pro-West monarchy to a, a vehemently anti-West Islamic theocracy Mm -hmm. now uh, the cnn uh, according to cnn the u.s was referred to as quote the great satan by the new iranian government and iranians looked to the united states with suspicion because of its role in keeping the shah in power iranians felt that the united states meddled too much in iran's internal affairs and were afraid that the cia was plotting to return the shah to power so the Ayatollah himself blessed the hostage taking at the embassy, further fueling the government's hard line against the United States. But it's important to to note that uh, most Americans thought that the uh, that Khomeini was informed about the takeover in advance, but in actuality he wasn't because mm. b- by the time it was presented to him, the hostages had already been taken captive. Yeah. So he actually didn't orchestrate the the hostage situation. Right, right. He just sort of threw a little threw a little gas on the fire kind of thing. And I, I would say it was it might have been even worse. Mm. Now there's an a GQ article that's really good by Nate Penn, and it, it kind of tells the the diplomat side and the Iranians' first post revolutionary ambassador. Uh, to the UN, says, uh, Khomeini hadn't expected the seizure. Nobody had. It turned out to be a gold mine for him. Now, Aaron, Deputy National Security Advisor, says somebody would se- uh, step forward and say, I have the power, and they'd start negotiations. And mm. then the uh, Khomeinist would immediately say, you're pro-American, you're selling out the revolution, and that person would lose their jobs and sometimes their life. Khomeini began to see how he could use this to clean out the cafe liberals who were running the government. So he really took it... um, Yeah, he took it up a notch. Yeah, yeah, he took advantage of of the actual situation because the Iranians, like, were so in love with him Mm -hmm. and... uh, it was a, a romantic idea that he was bringing to the country. Um, but he ended up really not being what he said he was going to be. Yes. Yeah, well, that <laughs> this is going to get me in trouble. But that's how but that's kind of, you know, what what happened in not exactly the same, but similar to Cuba. You know, these guys get in, they they say all the right things. And then because absolute power corrupts, absolutely, you know, it doesn't end so well. It's, it works on paper, you know, a lot of the time. It's true. And these students, although they weren't doing the bidding of Khomeini, they were trying to get his attention in a way. Yeah. So he, just his presence there was sort of like an inspiration. And so even though he might not have been directly the one pulling the strings, just his sort of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but his presence and his magnetism are what draw out these actions. And now we're going to check in with Dr. Benjamin Rad, UCLA lecturer and expert on government and politics in the Middle East to hear what he has to say. 
What was the initial plan of the students uh, to overtake the embassy? What was their goal? Their goal was to call attention to their cause and to call attention to the fact that they perceived the United States presence in Iran as what they called um, a den of spies or a nest of spies. And they wanted the United States to take responsibility and to either apologize or to, to, to recognize its role in having brought Iran to the economic or political state that it had been. Um, and so the, the purpose was not initially to, to keep the hostages for that long. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not this was planned by Khomeini initially. It appears as if the students sort of did this spontaneously, and then they reached out to Khomeini after they took the embassy to get his blessing for what they did. And then once Khomeini understood what he had in his hands, his group took it over from there. So the students really, even though they remained there as, as the, the, the guards of the embassy, if you will, keeping the hostages in place, it really then moved over to Khomeini's circle. And even the Iranian foreign ministry was marginalized and, and many, its, many of its members resigned uh, or, or left out of fear. So why was Khomeini so reluctant to return the hostages? Khomeini saw the hostages as a bartering chip. For, that, for him, it was a demonstration not only of Iran's new power, so in other words, reversing this imbalance that had existed for so long. It was the United States couldn't do anything, and Khomeini relished this idea that the superpower so long, in his eyes, responsible for Iran's uh, political and um, domestic plight was now all of a sudden, you know, incapable of, of rescuing its own citizens. So it was a moment of projecting Iran's newfound authority and power. And then it was attempting to receive concessions from the United States. Now it was for a while getting the Shah to come back and using the hostages as a bartering chip, which didn't work. And then later it was to basically have Iranian assets that were in the United States that were frozen by the U.S. government after the embassy was taken over. Iran wanted those assets unfrozen and returned to Iran. This was A lot of this was the Shah's personal wealth. And from the perspective of the revolutionaries, the Shah had plundered the state's coffers, treasury, and this was the national wealth that was illegally being held in the United States. So the revolutionaries wanted that money returned. Check out our full interview with Dr. Rad on Thursday's episode of The Aftermath. Now back to our conversation. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So these students, let's talk about them. These are a group of radical Iranian college students. Uh, They went by the Muslim student followers of the Imam's line. That was their their name, where they... uh, They were the ones who actually took the Americans hostage and demanded that the U.S. extradite the Shah. So that was the point. According to The Atlantic, uh, an article by Mark Bowden, he writes, it was not supposed to involve the prolonged detention of the hostages. The students who seized the embassy believed that they were participating in a conventional protest, not unlike those that the U.S. colleges a decade before when uh, rebellious American students occupied campus buildings. The young Iranians envisioned having to subdue and confine members of the American mission for perhaps a day or two, but they had no intention of holding them for any length of time. They made no preparations for doing so. The demand for the Shah's return was primarily rhetorical. The hostage takers immediately, their immediate goal was to put pressure on the provisional government of Prime Minister Mehdi Bazargan, God, I'm butchering these. These uh, This interim authority had to be appointed by Khomeini after the fall of the Shah to preside until a new constitution could be written. The revolution had unleashed tumultuous political passions, and Khomeini, monitoring events from the holy city, uh, was of two minds about the future. Should Iran be ruled directly by clerics, or should it be a, should it have a secular democracy? Uh, Bazar Gan favored the Western-style state, but in the eyes of the extremists, both Islamist, Islamist and Marxist, he was watering down the revolution. Mm. They saw the provisional government's efforts to stabilize Iran and to reestablish ties with the rest of the world as a sellout. Mm-hmm. As Mark kind of puts it, Mark says that this, stu- this student activism was really prevalent in the 60s, and that's maybe where these students got their ideas. So, Amanda, I think you should put hippies up on the board. <laughs> you know what? It can all be traced to those dirty, stinky hippies and their long hair and their hula hoops and the... Hula hoops. the what is that? <laughs> and, and their Jesus sandals. Yeah, and their Jesus sandals. Yeah, but now we have to talk about President... Uh, Jimmy Carter. Let's do it. Peanut farmer. (laughs) Um, So he, you know, a lot of it had to do with his response. There's a New York Times article that says that they faulted Carter for worrying too much about human rights. God forbid. (laughs) God forbid. (laughs) Yes. The Iranians were like, because he had the shot over the White House before this all went down, like, you know, for a welcome or whatever. And so they were saying, like, he doesn't care about human rights. So he's like not enough for either side. He was in a tough spot. Yeah. He was the last one to be convinced to allow the Shah into the United States, he knew was not a good call. But his advisors really were like, we have to do it because the Shah has been, quote unquote, so good to us mm-hmm. that we have to, we can't just let him die right. and not give him treatment. 
I mean, maybe we can put his advisors up on the board more than than President Carter himself. I think so, because he also inherited this problem. You know, he didn't choose to, you know, go in there with the CIA. He was farming peanuts when that happened. He didn't uh, come off as a very decisive player behind the scenes he was planning this desert one he you know he gave the go-ahead for the the military to train eagle claw oh is that what it was called eagle claw okay i don't know why i keep saying desert one that's the name of the documentary anyway oh oh, yeah that's where like they landed and it was a terrible terror i mean everything that could go wrong went wrong and this you know when you hear the the conversation between like the head general and jimmy carter the guy's like uh, sir, um, it looks like we uh, have some casualties. We're going to have to abort the mission. He goes, isn't that something? Okay, thanks, <laughs> General. Like, that was his reaction. I just think he was just, he, you know, I don't know. Like, his heart was just too soft. You know what Jimmy Carter is? Rebecca, you'll appreciate this. There's a saying in Spanish, and maybe it's just like Caribbean Spanish, or maybe it's just in Miami. He is the epitome of, like, two things. A, papa sin sal, for oh, sure, yeah. which is like potato without any salt, like just unseasoned vegetable. And also like un pedazo de pan, you know, just like a nice doughy piece of bread. Like you can't do much with it. Like, you know what I mean? You can like maybe enjoy it with a little coffee or toast it, but yeah. it's not going to get the job done. It's not going to satiate you. Yeah, it, it, we call it un huevo sin sal, which is an egg without salt. Well, that's even worse than a potato without salt, in my opinion. <laughs> What they call it where I come from is a spaghetti with no marinara. <laughs> How about you, Amanda? What oh, do they call it? Ice cream with no sprinkles. Oh. <laughs> How dare they? How dare you? <laughs> what a waste of calories. Now, there are a few things I think are important to touch upon. Okay. There's the Operation Eagle Claw, because that was a massive failure yes. on the part of, of the U.S. government. It was a failed mission. Eight U.S. service members died. And as a result, the uh, hostage takers were worried about the possibility of another attempt. So they scattered the Americans around, uh, around Iran. And it was th- it was their one opportunity mm-hmm. that was now gone. Yeah. And that, I think, is another strike for the advisors, too. Because the advisors were like, this is where we're going to land. Nobody's here. It turns out it was like a highway where there was plenty of people that were passing by and, and everything just went to shit. So, so yeah, th- definitely Eagle Claw, but also like strike two against the advisors. I also do want to talk about, apparently, Chase Bank. What? Yeah. Oh, I don't know so, anything about that. I didn't, I didn't either. This was a shock to me. So there's a 2019 New York Times article by David Kirkpatrick who says, a newly disclosed secret history from the offices of bank chairman Mr. Rockefeller shows in vivid detail how Chase Manhattan Bank and its well-connected chairman worked behind the scenes to persuade the Carter administration to admit the Shah, one of the bank's most profitable clients. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs (laughs) with no marinara. Holy shit, that's new information for me. I uh, it shocked me too. He goes on. The hostage crisis 
doomed Mr. Carter's presidency and the team around Mr. Rockefeller, a lifelong Republican with a dim view of Mr. Carter's dovish foreign policy, collaborated closely with the Reagan campaign in its efforts to preempt and discourage what it derisively labeled an October surprise, a pre-election release of the American hostages, the papers show. The chase team helped the Reagan campaign gather and spread rumors about possible payoffs to win the release, a propaganda effort that Carter and the that the Carter administration officials have said impeded talks to free the captives. Ooh, okay, yeah. So that part I'd heard about that there was like a little conspiracy theory behind like the fact that the the um the hostages the remaining hostages were released one minute after Reagan took the oath of office in January 1980, 1980. 80, yeah, 81. or 81. Um, so what do we call that? Republicans? <laughs> Reagan? Yeah, Reagan. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or it's like the uh, election uh, hysteria. Well, but I think it's more nefarious than that because it was like because in the end didn't didn't they end up releasing the hostages because some of the frozen assets, some of Iranians' frozen assets were released back to Iran, meaning like they essentially were paid like money that was there theirs but was frozen. Um so it was sort of like a buyout. It was sort of like a like a a suspended buyout. It was kind of kind of dirty, right? I don't know what we call that. Yeah, it, dirty politics. Dirty politics. Reagan's yeah. dirty politics. Reagan's dirty politics. Is there any other kind? And then finally, I think I would like to put paper shredders up on the board. <laughs> oh, why? why? <laughs> I waited for you to ask. <laughs> Pray tell. Okay. So... Once the students hop over the fence and they're getting into the uh, embassy, the uh, embassy workers go down to the basement and they start shredding all of the classified documents. Now, at the end of the day, the CIA really uh, says that they didn't have a lot of information on the Iranians because all of the information that they had came directly from the Shah. Mm. So it was kind of, um, they didn't really have a very good uh, uh, operation mm-hmm. there. And there was no, uh, they were not going to uh, put the Shah back in power. There was no, there were no actual plans. Mm-hmm. But what happens, it's part of the protocol for the embassy to uh, destroy all of these documents. So while they're down there and they're shredding everything, it ends up looking very uh, nefarious yes, to the students. Yep. Very suspicious. And they actually spend months going through these shreddings and putting them together and like any little you know they found like fake passports and Mm -hmm. a few like things that make made them seem a little culpable um they would come out on uh iranian news and and say hey we we found this information so we're in the right you know so these paper shredders made them look way more suspicious also just for shit should we put ben affleck on there because he should be on just yes i love love that idea (laughs) just put him back this might be a controversial statement but i did not like argo you're gonna get a lot of hate mail um i have something i i think we could possibly put up on the board what about uh religious fundamentalism 
because I think that played a large part, obviously, in Khomeini's rise to power. But what was so interesting about this is like Khomeini activated so many of the young students and that included a lot of the women who had over the last however many years been given more and more freedoms. Um, And then kind of with the promise of like that wouldn't be taken away. But then once he was in power, he sort of slowly rolled back a lot of these freedoms that uh, women specifically had received. And so I just think we can't sort of not acknowledge the religion aspect to this. You're so right. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So who is to blame for the Iranian hostage crisis? Oil, American B&E, Jimmy Carter's soft heart, the Shah, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, the students, sneaky hippies and their hula hoops, (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Carter's advisors, Operation Eagle Claw, Chase Bank, Ronald Reagan's dirty politics, paper shredders, Ben Affleck, or religious fundamentalism. (laughs) A process of elimination here. What do we take off? I mean, dare I say Ben Affleck first? Ew, gross. Yeah, get rid of him first. He should, you know, he's fine. (laughs) You know, paper shredders are, were, were a big problem, but they didn't start the crisis. No, they didn't. They didn't start the crisis. I, I also feel like Ronald Reagan's dirty politics and Chase Bank, like they really did not help the situation, but did they cause the situation? Well, Chase Bank, possibly. They were the ones who. Yeah, you're right about that. Wanted the shot. So maybe we can take Ronald Reagan's Against, dirty politics yeah, out. Yeah. We'll get him. We'll get him at some point. Mm-hmm. He's begging for See it. See AIDS crisis. <laughs> yeah. See yeah. trickle-down economics. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. How about the sneaky hippies? They, you know, they were doing their thing. Yeah. And and, and to be fair, they were protesting war. We can take those out. Okay. Okay. I also think we can take Operation Eagle Claw out. Yeah. Because that was more a result. It didn't help. Again, didn't help. Didn't yeah. help. But didn't cause... Still on the board, we've got oil, American B&E, Jimmy Carter's soft heart, soft heart, <laughs> the Shah, Ayatollah, the students, the advisors, Chase Bank, religious fundamental, fundamentalism. I like to blame religious fundamentalism whenever I have the opportunity. But I think in this case, like I already have one in my mind that I feel like is the source and I think that 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 this just maybe religious fundamentalism, while it was there, was just kind of like really shit woken up by the the I think what the source was. So it was like an, a, a sort of a reaction to um, everything that the Western s- society. Um, it was a response to Western society. I mm. think. Okay, I'm following. I also think we can take Jimmy Carter's soft heart out because yeah. more than that, he, I think it could have been his advisors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they, they really could have helped way more. Yeah. Now, what about taking down the Shah himself? Because he seems to me almost more like a, a puppet and less a master. Well, I mean, if you read, I, I went down a whole rabbit hole on the guy and he's not the greatest. He's not like, the, the the most awesome Shah. Well, I didn't yeah. think he was. He's not the Shah of Sunset. <laughs> no. 
You know, I would so I would sooner take off the Ayatollah. Ooh, no. No? I think, I think the crisis, it, it was his, if, if anyone is puppet a puppet master, right. I mean, it's the U.S. and it's also the Ayatollah. Okay, okay, we'll leave him. So in that, in, in that sense, I actually, I agree with you, Amanda, that we can take the Shah out. Well, what about, what about oil? I mean, you know, is it the oil's fault that we like, we have an economy based on cars that require it? But I think that's part of B&E. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. No? Keep, keep, yeah. Keeping free markets across the world and, and stealing, you know, resources from, not stealing, yeah. but, you know, taking advantage of resources from all over the world. There's yeah. A, maybe that does get rolled up into B&A. Yeah, I agree. What about the stu- taking the students off? Now, I know we often get in trouble when we eliminate the people who literally did the <laughs> act. <laughs> um, but I do think the students, obviously, like this... I don't know. It's a tricky situation. And they were, you know, fighting for something that they believed in. It's never a good idea to take hostages. People, no one did die, (laughs) but people, it could have gone horribly wrong. It could have gone so much. Yes, for sure. Part of me does think like they were a result of a big something bigger here. Yes, I agree with you, Amanda. I think they were naive. And I, Mm -hmm. I, and they were desperate. desperate. You know, they were desperate. But they were also used they were taken advantage of. Okay, what do we think about Chase Bank? It's so greedy. But I, I think that we can kind of fold that into American breaking and entering. Yeah, I think you're right. Who is going to get the big slap and who is going to go to the alarmist jail? I do think we could roll the advisors into B&E. Yeah, I mean, yeah. technically they're looking after American interests. Yeah, right? yeah. Mean, they're reacting. Yeah. They're they're, they are reacting, but they're reacting in a way that is consistent with, with the goals of the original B&E, which is to keep the, you know, the American hegemony, to keep the oil, to keep the, you know, and in a way there's a little bit of an undertone of like, we're not letting these brown kids, you know, take our pristine white um, embassy workers and do whatever they want with them. I think there's also a little bit of that rolled in too. I, I have a suggestion. Okay. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, it might, it might stir the pot a little bit though. Oh, he's going to bring the hula hooping hippies back. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, in a way, maybe just the hula hoops. Bit. No, I actually think what you can call, um, the cause of the problem, I think, and what should go to jail is maybe American breaking and entering. But I yeah. think that the slap, I don't think, I think Khomeini tried to take advantage of the situation, but you, who you, can give, you can give the slap to the students. Like, you shouldn't take, don't take hostages. Like, that deserves a big slap. Don't you think? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Can I can I throw a, a wrench into that real quick? I definitely agree that American B and E is the source for sure. Like if that never had happened, we probably wouldn't be in this situation. However, the Ayatollah, like his fundamentalism, and 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 did, did I don't know enough about this, so please don't drag me for this. But did he sort of like inspire a little bit, like the idea of this return to? Uh, the theocracy, the 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 really strict Islamic moral code that eventually led to a lot of the the more uh, fundamentalist radical um, sects that we see now. But it was a reaction, I think, to this B and E, which is like we're the best and you have no say in it. So it's like, what's the opposite of consumerism and capitalism? And it's this austere kind of lifestyle. 
Well, just one of the things that he did is he um, overturned a law that was put into place to protect women, and it made the legal age of marriage, it took it from, I think, 18 to nine years old. Oh, perfect. So, yeah. So that's just one of the things that happened after this revolution. So maybe the Ayatollah gets the slap. I don't know. Do you disagree? I don't disagree. I I understand your point about the students, Chris, but I also feel like they were manipulated. They honestly, by the end of it, they didn't want it because they had this like responsibility. It was like if you you thought you were going to do something for two days and you just packed like enough clothes for two days and then you're there for 444 like, that's not what they wanted. Yeah, I guess my pitch was to, to give the Ayatollah the big slap and then give the big prize to American B&E. But that's just my pitch. No, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, I think that it's settled for me. If, if you guys agree, uh, I think American B&E has to go to jail and Ayatollah is getting the slap. I think, I think we should make, make an exception. I what? think we should send Khomeini to jail, too. I think the the... I think radical fundamentalism and is bad. Bad for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't yep. think uh, women should be treated as property. Yep. No, it's a good point. I don't think yep. they should be given to men at the age yep, of nine yep, years yep, old. Yep. 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 Okay, uh, you've convinced yep. us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I I would like to send them both you know you're right because at the end of the day we got to think about the bigger picture too and then who's gonna get the slap for me the advisors because they allowed the Shah to go they there they should not have let the Shah go to New York for treatment that really stirred the pot in an unnecessary way and put the U.S. embassy in in real danger and the U.S. the people the employees at the U.S. embassy said that they did not feel comfortable they knew this kind of thing was coming. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm calling it. I'm calling it. Jimmy Carter's advisors, you're getting the big slap. American B&E and the Ayatollah, you're going to the alarmist jail. Um, all right. Well, we got down to the bottom of the Iranian hostage crisis. Not, uh, no small feat. And Amy, we couldn't have done it without you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I love discussing this stuff. (laughs) And if you want to (laughs) hear more discussion on Ben Affleck and uh, this upcoming election, follow Amy. Follow me, baby. I don't know where we're going, but it's going to be great wherever we end up. After the Iran hostage crisis... According to CNN, on December 18, 2015, Congress passed a budget bill that included a provision authorizing each of the 53 hostages to receive $10,000 for each day that they were held captive. In addition, spouses and children would separately receive a one-time payment of $600,000. But per the New York Times, only a small portion of that money has been paid. The situation complicated after relatives of September 11 victims applied for compensation from the same fund. Thomas Lankford, a lawyer in Alexandria, Virginia, who represents many of the former Iranian hostages and their families, is still fighting for further payment. He cited years of anxiety attacks, trouble sleeping, and threats of suicide among former hostages. 
for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist the on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We'll be releasing our live episode on prohibition. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.